Hi, Sophie. Hi, Sin. Hi, Acer. Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Snack Covenant, episode 275. And today, we're going to talk about Armored Core. Yay! Wait a minute. What is this? A portal is opening in my room! Oh no! I'm being sucked into another dimension! <gasps> oh no! It looks like Sin's been sucked into a portal. Possibly due to her overacting. <laughs> to ensure you don't get sucked into any portals, you can check out GlockenspyromancyAcademy.com for some truly epic pyromancy terms. Link in the description. What is Armored Core? Who is Armored Core? Did you know, like, we can actually be a bit professional here, um, okay. even though okay. Sin isn't around. That's true. That's From true. interviews I dug up about Kingsfield, when I was doing my Kingsfield videos, I had to research, like, interviews that were stored on forums 17 years ago. And those, like, forums were digging to articles that were published 10 years ago. It's, like, yeah. miraculous that I got anything at all. But something yeah. that stuck with me was that the original pitch for Kingsfield 1, the one we didn't get in the uh, West, mm -hmm. was little robots tunneling down, uh, you know, uh, exploring tunnels. Right, right. And I think, well, that's, that's Armored Core then. Pretty much, yeah. Um, way, like, more I think than you realize because you haven't finished it yet, but, like, there's literally a termite nest full of giant termites in Armored Core, <laughs> exactly like in Kingsfield. <laughs> Although, weirdly, I don't think it's the same model. I think they actually made an entirely different PS1 giant termite to run in what is basically the same engine. <laughs> yeah, they are. I, yeah. I've met some termites or some bugs, but they don't look exactly yeah. the same. No, no, no. On it being the same engine. It's literally the same engine. Like it this is the weird, same engine as Kingsfield, yeah. This weird, slow-paced dungeon crawler engine can also be this hectic, super action-y mech game. It's insane. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... It can also be, uh, be a point-and-click adventure game with Echo Knight. Oh. I yeah. didn't know that was a point-and-click adventure game. It's not really point... It's a first-person adventure game, but it plays like a point-and-click one. It's like sort of inventory oh. management, collecting keys, um, just watching stories unfold. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, like, the three um, PS1 games they did... Well, series, I, I, I mean. Um, they're all the same engine, but they're three completely different genres. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And we say, like, series, because there were, there were three Armored Core games on PS1, but um, mm. Armored Core 2 was a PS2 game, so... <laughs> they was, this, this is the weird thing about, about, like, discussing Armored Core, is that there's the... If you look at it, okay, Armored Core went up to Armored Core 5, so you'd think, well, are there five games? No, there's 23. There's 23 Armored Core games, because, like, each sort of numbered entry will have a number of, like essentially be its own universe and have a number of spin-offs that will like some of which will be complete games and some of which will which will basically be mission packs so like armored core on ps1 had two other ps1 games one was called project phantasma mm. which was like 
basically a sequel, but you imported your data from Armored Core 1 to kind of continue with that character and continue with that build. And mm. um, it also had a system built in where, like, if you if you did that, um, if you didn't have Armored Core 1 data, you could basically start with what they would consider to be, like, sort of the amount of money and stuff you would have at the end of Armored Core 1 if you had played it. So it, it did function as a standalone thing. Mm. And there was another one called Master of Arena, that was just versus. And I didn't, uh, did you did you get to any of the versus matches? No. Oh. Uh, um, no. Okay. Yeah. I well, I've I've battled some other mech guys. In yeah. Like, yeah. In, in arenas. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a spinoff that's just that. Oh. Huh. It's just like one v one or two v two fights. How how long does that last? Because I find the strength of the armored core that I'm playing the first one. Mm. Um. First of all, I'm genuinely shocked by how involved the missions are because the framing mm. for the missions, it's like just walls of text explaining like this yeah. corporation and this, like in this universe and this city and these terrorist cells. And it's like, whoa, this is really involved. And then yes. sometimes mid-level, I will get a message from somebody that's like, haha, I betrayed you, you scumbag. And I'm mm. like, I'm, I'm locking the doors and I'm stuck there going like, wait a minute. Do I still get paid? <laughs> <laughs> that actually comes up. There's some missions where, like, the briefing is a lie and you won't get paid. Hmm? Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, all, all that text is, like, important. That actually matters. That factors into what's going on. Yeah. Something that struck me about Armored Core going back to it as, like, because I, I... This is so disorganized. Let's start with where I actually started playing Armored Core. Hi, Sin here. I'm stuck in another dimension, so I need someone to get a message to Sophie and Acer. Could you please tell them to use the angelic outline? Otherwise, this whole Armored Core podcast is going to be super long and super disorganized and totally unbecoming of the Snap Covenant. Thank you. Back to the podcast. Armored Core was the first From game I played. And it is actually the reason why we're here now. It's the reason why I got into the Souls games and then Bloodborne and everything else. Um, because I had played a shitload of Armored Core when I was in high school. And also the Armored Core 2 and 3 on the PS2. And um, what happened was like when I basically got back into playing games, because I, I basically didn't play anything released on the PS3 until the very end of its lifespan. And I, I picked up the PS3 and I noticed that there was this game by From Software called Demon Souls that was on the the download thing. And I thought, oh, From, I remember them from Armored Core. And I played that. <laughs> and that's, you know, where, how we sort of got where we are now. But um, yeah, Armored Core, back in, back in the late 90s, some people listening may not remember. Um, I remember. Video game magazines, which existed, they were a thing. You'd go down to the shop and buy, buy a magazine. They had the, these cover-mounted CDs that would have demos on them. And, uh. um, yeah, so the PlayStation magazine that I read when I was a teenager in the late 90s, 
it like every issue would come with a little CD and on the CD would have like the demos of the games that were coming out that that month. And um, one of them was the demo for Armored Core. And it was because it was a demo it was the first two levels of Armored Core. So the first two missions, but it had fully integrated the mech customization system and the sh- shop that you bought the parts. And I think it had most of the stuff you could buy. Like it, it didn't gate off the parts in the demo, it just gated off the missions. And oh. um, because it was a demo, they just let you play the same mission over and over again because you could never progress. But um, you could play it and then just play it again and play it again and play it again and play it again. So I actually spent longer on that demo just <laughs> grinding in the first mission over and over and over again to get money to buy more mech parts than I did, like, playing most actual full retail games because I just became obsessed with, like, building these robots. <laughs> and that is kind of... That's Armored Core. Like, that's the appeal of it, I think, to most people, is yeah. that it has this incredibly in-depth customization system that is, like forcing you to, to take into account like the weight of everything you're sticking on the robot how much power it is draining um how much like lift it has how much like mm. velocity it has down how to, like much health all those it has. yeah like if you look at it um you might think a lot of the numbers are just for show like it's just they're just trying to make like a mech looking hud with a bunch of numbers all those numbers matter yeah Every single time you see a number in Armored Core, it matters. And, like, it's really in-depth, and at the same time, like, it really rewards you understanding how it worked, because you can't- you become sort of obsessed with, like, how much can I squeeze out of this? Hmm. Like, what is, like, an obvious trade-off that the game throws at you is weight. Like, heavy weapons way more. It's like armor in Dark Souls, weapons in Dark Souls, the bigger something is the more it weighs. So it's like, I can only carry this amount, but like how much I can carry is actually based on how stable my legs are, um, rather than like an endurance stat. So it becomes like, okay, if you want to have like just a really heavily armed thing, you can just get some tank treads, which have effectively can carry anything because it's a tank tread. Those are unlocked from the beginning, by the way, like you can just buy tank treads and you never have to worry about weight again from the very start of the game. And I can just stick whatever the hell I want on those tank treads. But if I sit down and I really, really, like, plan everything, I can figure out a way to maybe stick the same weapons on something that's faster, like on a hovercraft. Yeah. Or, like, you know, I can figure out, like, there are weapons in it that will that will drain your, like, boost bar instead of, like, using solid ammunition. And then it becomes like, well, can I like, can I do a a build that is based on like having a very, very powerful like generator that can boost a lot, but also not boosting and just putting that all into like, all into ammunition use. Like there's so much you can do with it. And on top of that, like just the aesthetic customization of the Mac Mm. is massive. Like you can actually set the individual RGB values of every single part of it. And you can apply textures and you can go in with a little like Microsoft Paint interface yep. and draw your own logo. And that will actually appear in game on the on the like <laughs> on, on the, the shoulder uh, of the Mac. Yeah. It, it reminds yeah. me of like 
something Miyazaki said about like the way he wanted weapon upgrades to work in in Souls is that like he wanted you to get very attached to a weapon and it would become like your thing and you'd carry it around with you everywhere and like you'd work on it, you'd upgrade it and you'd feel like an attachment to the weapon. Um, Armored Core is like that to this enormous extreme. Like you watch that robot just evolve over time until like mm. you become very, very attached to how it ends up. And like, because you can start, like there's no starting class in this game. Like you always start with the same build. Yeah, that's sort of like, just the most generic, just you have a turret gun, machine gun, and like... Yeah, but very, very quickly, like, that can evolve into, like, a four-legged hovercraft with no arms. (laughs) Or, like, just a tank that is covered in, in, like, Gatling guns. Like, there's so much you can do in it. And that's actually why, like, I've been reticent to stream it. Because, to me at least, like... Three quarters of the gameplay mm. is just in a garage. <laughs> um, watching a bunch of numbers change. And I don't think that's very interesting to watch. <laughs> but also, <laughs> well, if you don't do that, it's like, well, why... You don't actually get why the game sort of gets its its hooks into you. Because yeah. it just seems like a weird action game. But yeah. It, it's, like, um, it's like the old Rainbow Six games where... You spend two thirds of your time just planning the mission, mm. and then you just go in, and it's it's very easy if you actually plan yeah. it, and like you're logical about mm. which cover everybody, which corner everyone should cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, something about uh, how expansive the customizations in Armored Core are. My current build is like the zippiest laser guy you could possibly mm. be. I have the lightest legs. I have the lightest build yeah. I can possibly have, and it's. Because you pointed something out to me, which is that, and I guess we, sh- we should talk about how payments work. So you get mm-hmm. you get paid for doing missions. Sometimes yes. there are penalties for destroying things you shouldn't destroy. Sometimes there's a bonus for killing X amounts of enemies in a given time or whatever. Um, but you have to actually pay out of pocket for ammunition. And if yeah. your mech gets damaged, which it always will, um, mm-hmm. you have to pay for that. So... Yep. E- while I'm in the zone trying to kill all these guys, I'm also there like, ooh, I, do I'll 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 wait. I don't want to shoot them right away. I'll try to save some mm. money. Yeah. Um, but energy weapons they don't cost ammunition, so you'll make no, money no. faster that way. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, they they have a limited number of shots they can make, but it also doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. So like, yeah, I was talking about like as someone who's played this a lot, my default means of starting is like. To basically sell off everything I don't absolutely need and just buy a laser rifle. And then very, very slowly and methodically just do the first few missions because that way there is no cost to me and I become massively wealthy very quickly. But if you grab like like a Gatling gun that has like, I think it's like 250 rounds in it and you just like spray that thing, um, you could end up like in the red by the end of the mission even if you succeed because mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for all those bullets. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like that. Um, so the world it takes place in, it's like this, it, it's your generic government corporations get into bed together and ruin the future kind of cyberpunk universe. It's underground. I think that's important to stress because, I mean, the, it's a situation where, like, according to the story, everything we're doing is actually underground. 
Mm. And I, that, I think, is why the draw distance is so low. I think it's a little justification for that. Um, there's tiny little bits that are on the surface, but the majority yeah, like- of the game is set. It's, it's set underground and, um, the reason that's important is like sort of the revitalization of the surface mm. plays into like not just the story of one, but the story of like the whole um, s- uh, series, essentially. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And um, not only in the mission briefs do you get like a sense of this being a really fleshed out world, mm. there's a surprising level of variety. Like mm. I, I was kind of blown away when during one mission i was just plopped on top of like this aircraft yeah and there was nothing like just a million meter drop to the floor again Mm. and i was Mm. just supposed to defend it from some drones or whatever yeah yeah there was one where i'm in like this giant furnace which Mm. again no floor and i just have to sort of walk on these beams and these pipes to uh destroy the enemies and i find that's really fascinating there's also segments which take place in like these giant just box rooms with like these mm. skyscrapers and it's like yeah yeah those are the uh, underground cities yeah it's like yeah how terrible must it be living in this universe did you get to the bit where you had to kill the people taking the train home no i don't what? oh okay okay Let, let's talk about how like everyone in armor core is awful yeah. <laughs> so, like, the, one of the reasons Armored Core stuck out to me when this came out is, like, it was around the same time as Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. And they both have that, like, cyberpunk corporate crap sack, like, dystopian future going on. But with the thing about, like, this is not a criticism of Seven, just because they're very different kinds of story. But, like, Seven is, okay, you're a mercenary and you're, like, working, like, you know, I don't care, I just want my money, and, like, you know, mm-hmm. I not there's no morality to what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. But then it ends up, like, very fortuitously that the people you're working for are eco-terrorists. And sort of everything you do is, like, ultimately, like, it's sort of retroactively justified, like, that you blew up all these buildings and stuff, because, like, well, they the people you're fighting against are actually just evil, and, like, the people you're mm. working for have, like, good intentions, and I know, like, I know the remake changes, I'm talking about the original. And, um, the thing about Armored Core is, like, the first two missions you get, um, you have a choice of either being a strike breaker and like literally just killing a bunch of guys who were striking for better for better pay or you can go and um find a bunch of people who are living in a disused warehouse that is not being used for anything and just kill them because it's not their property those are the two choices and you have no option but to participate in this if you're playing it there's yeah. no good you cannot be nice in this and the longer it goes on, the more it just becomes, like, you are just doing... Th- like, it is all about money. Like, mm-hmm. nothing else matters. Like, um, I'm, the, the thing about Armacore is it has a number of paths in it, that, and that's not immediately obvious. Because there's not, like, set sort of make the decision of what the choice is. It's not like Bioshock, where it's, like, very obviously, like, okay, this is the thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so more it, like it will- um, Silent Hill 2, where they kind of hide it under the seams. Yeah, it, it, it's, I don't even know how it works, but it's basically keeping track of, like, all these warring corporations. It sort of keeps track of, like, who you did good things for, mm. and you sort of tip the balance in one direction or the other based on your actions. But, um, like, 
the the amount of like missions in it that are some variation of like you're just murdering people because of someone's bottom line like there's no like there's no you're not doing this for like it's not like oh this is something terrible but it has to happen it's literally like one of them is um i want you to stage an industrial accident in which um a large portion of my workforce is killed because if you do that i don't have to pay them severance <laughs> it's like i'm gonna fire these people i don't want to pay severance but if they die it's not my fault so it's like can you blow up the train that they're on and that's a mission and like there's another one that's like um there's this um the the wording of like i mentioned before like the, the killing of people like just you're just killing homeless people in one of the missions mm-hmm. but th- this is like it's a very rare um very good i think like translation because and this may actually just be like because they were doing it in the most straightforward way possible but like the the way it is written is so like corporate speak mm-hmm. like no, no one is melodramatic in this like when you have to kill the homeless people it just calls them like um they are like it calls them regressives opposed to urban development <laughs> Which is exactly the language that's used to, like, destroy homeless communities in real life. (laughs) And, like, um, I I actually have it, like, I have a long play running on my other monitor right now. And, like, I I know what the missions are because I've done them so many times. The one I'm looking at now is, like, you are hired to, like, buy the corporation that own a city to destroy Mm -hmm. parts of the city. (laughs) Because if you do that... Everyone will get so frightened they will allow for greater police presence. It's all like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you said, it's that's corporate speak. There's no like yeah. there's no like ring around it. Yeah. There's no villain, which is really interesting. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah. We have this useless uh, at least it seems useless. I'm only like halfway or something through the game. Mm-hmm. Um it seems useless at this point. In the menu, we have a ranking system where we can kind of mm-hmm. compare ourselves to other yeah, yeah. pilots. And it's like, wow, that's like, because you want to get up higher so that you can get mm. the better jobs. But it's like, look at what this, this you know, we live in a society. Look at mm. what this society <laughs> has done yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and, and that, that ranking system's actually dynamic. Like, you could, those are characters, if you pay attention to the names on that, those are characters you'll meet during missions. And if you kill them, they disappear from the ranking. And you rank oh. up. Yeah. I thought it was like uh, Ratchet Gladiator, where it was totally scripted. No, no. And it gets like, they really expand on that in 2. Because 2 adds this, like, total arena system where on that ranking, if you're below someone you can challenge the person that you're immediately below mm-hmm. and you can try to like usurp their rank like just in like a one-on-one fight and so they add a ton of them and it is all shit like this person is fighting because their sibling has a terminal illness and <laughs> um, if you beat them like if their brother is just gonna die from cancer and it's like gotta get paid sorry <laughs> wow <laughs> it's so vile but like something that um i was touching on before is like there's no villain in this game 
Which is another way of saying, like, and this is very, like, sued, but it's correct. Like, um, the villain is the society in Armored Core. Mm. Because, like, I, I've talked about, like, the branching paths. So I'll go into a little more depth on that, how it works. So, like, in Armored Core, there's a bunch of different factions, but there's two big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two major factions called Chrome and Murakumo, and they're two big, like, cyberpunk corporations. And they are squabbling with each other. And what happens is, like, you can accept missions from either. And what it does, I think, this seems to be how it works. I've never actually, like, looked at the guts of it, but this is how it runs to me. Is that, um, the more missions you complete successfully for each one, it sort of tips the balance slightly in their favor. And then at the mid game, there is a point where like it will tip in one way or the other. And either Chrome or Murakumo will win. That's but, when uh, that's when that cutscene happens. Yes, but yes, interestingly, I, I just passed that in the game. Yeah. That cutscene is the same, regardless of the one that wins. Oh. Because the same shit happens. Because it's like it literally just changes the name. It's like, okay, basically Chrome is the established one. Murakumo is the up and coming one. But it doesn't matter who actually wins because the same thing happens. But like, that's, that's literally part of the story. That's the point it's making because it's mm-hmm. like either like if Chrome defeat Murakumo, then like another company just rises up to replace Murakumo. If Murakumo usurp Chrome, it's like, well, now there's a power vacuum. So this other company becomes the new rival to Murakumo. So it's actually the same video each time. There's just a different voiceover. Mm. And it always ends with like, nothing has changed. And that becomes the thrust of like the second half of the story, which is about like, okay, this, this cannot continue. You're actually driving the world toward this point where it's like this system is no longer functional. Mm. And the end of the story is basically like if we're going by like, because I mean, we have to sort of compare this to Dark Souls because it's a common point of comparison everyone will have. It's basically the like fire is fading. So you walk away from it ending Mm -hmm. where it's like we don't know what happens next, but there is no way to sustain this. So the end of the, like, can I just spoil the end of the game for you? Yeah, sure. Okay. The end of the game, the, the mercenaries that you're, oh Christ, we haven't done that. Okay. So we'll just, we'll just like explain who you are. So, so your character in Armored Core is called Raven. Yes. And you're called that because you're part of a group called the Ravens. And the idea is like, you are a completely neutral faction. Um, it's actually similar to, I guess, some um, Outer Heaven in Metal Gear Solid, where it's like, this is a group yeah. of people who are just soldiers, they're just mercenaries, they don't belong to a country, they don't have an allegiance. No ideology, and just, just There's just no fight. ideology beyond fighting. And what happens is, like, the longer you go into the game, the more you realize that actually the Ravens are kind of, they do have an ideology which is to the status quo. Their goal is to maintain the world as it is. And what happens is... That's also you really start- like Metal Gear Solid, where it's like, yeah. we have to create a world for soldiers. Yeah. Um, well, it's sort of it's kind of like both. It's like they're out of heaven and the Patriots at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But you get to this point where toward the end, it's like, oh, fuck you. Because you're like, because you're making so much progress in the game. It's like, oh, you're the fuckwit that keeps screwing things up. You're the one who keeps tipping the balance of power. 
because you've like you've actually sort of surpassed what you're supposed to be. So you start getting missions that are supposed to kill you. This is where it factors in. They're like, oh, you might just not get paid for this. This might just be a trap. And you start getting deliberately trapped and these missions become like assassination attempts on you. And the final mission of the game, which is fucking unplayable, by the way, um, if you get there, like uh, when I streamed this, I recorded that mission ahead of time because I didn't want to make people watch me do it if I couldn't. It's horrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like the final mission of the game is you get told like, Oh, um, while you were out, someone planted all of these these proximity mines in our base. Can you clean them out? So the mission, the final mission actually takes place in your, like, the headquarters of the people that you work for. And um, they are just trying to kill you. And then the longer you progress through it, like, assuming you survive... You encounter, like, the guy who is held, uh, he's like the, when you looked at the rankings, there was a guy at the top called Nineball. Mm. Um, Nineball is like, he's the sort of, like, legendary mercenary who's in charge of the whole thing. He attacks you, and you kill him. And then he attacks you again. Because he's not fucking real. Oh. He's actually a computer. And as you progress through it and you beat these two copies of the nine ball, you meet the actual thing that's orchestrating everything. And it turns out that actually the the mercenaries you work for, there is just an AI running them. And the AI is actually completely defenseless. It's just like, it's kind of like Bed of Chaos. It's just this thing that can't hurt you once you get to it. And the end of the game is like, it's a deliberate sort of anticlimax where this boss... Like, it can't defend itself, but it takes a while to kill. So as you're doing it, it's basically just saying, like, think about what you're doing. Think about what this is going to mean if you destabilize everything. Mm. And, like, we don't know what's going to happen. We have to keep things as they are. And it just has this ending where it's like, you you blow up that computer. You've destroyed the thing that was, like, this AI program that was keeping the society like relatively stable and it's like what the hell happens next no one knows and then it just shows like well i guess we can go to the surface now and it shows the surface of the earth Mm. and it's like um everything was thrown into chaos but we could sort of at least start something else and that's the ending and it's so like weird Mm. if you like if it's sold to you as like mech action game then it it almost becomes like dark souls 2 with aldia with this whole discussion about like what what is what is what will remain when this is all gone and you don't ever see it Mm. i mean there is an armored core 2 but at the time you don't see it and it's like yeah so like it's just this sort of it's about like systems in a way that like Dark Souls really, like, I know Dark Souls is all this whole thing about, like, linking the fire and what is a king and everything, but, like, Armored Core is, like, all about that. These, like, mm. sort of coercive systems that, like, yeah, if you, like... Perpetuate themselves it perpetuates at itself. Expense. Yeah, like, I, I think it's, like, I think it's sort of important to contextualize it in terms of when it actually came, like, what, what had happened in Japan. Because, like, there was a pretty bad, like, economic collapse in japan in the sort of like uh like basically the reason why like people like me talk about anime being really good in the 80s and early 90s 
is mm. that everyone had a whole lot of money, so they could just throw it at making these like weird passion projects in Japan. And then there was a crash. There was a massive like implosion of the economy, and everything sort of fell apart. And if you look at like Japanese cyberpunky stuff from around that time, it's all reflecting that. And I really always see Armacore as that. It's like this is this system that we're all being told is like this rational sort of self-maintaining like economic homeostasis in which like all these corporations are just squabbling with each other but it's all right because like if one gets too big another one will like take its place it'll collapse and then that stops working and then you realize that not only does it not work but like it never actually worked it was always being coordinated Mm. there was always something behind the curtain pulling the strings to make it look like this was the sort of rational economic system And then, yeah, the revelation is like, well, it was never rational anyway. It's not even like it was a rational system that failed because of you. It was never rational. And the whole thing just collapses. And it's really like, it's just really sort of like resonant. If you like, I guess like in the West, it's different because like we had the the capacity to sort of like brute force. If things went wrong here, we could sort of brute force and and force that on other countries. But Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, the the shadow of Pat Labor, I think, looms very large over Armored Core. And that's like, I guess we'll talk about, you didn't, you'd never heard of Pat Labor. No. Pat Labor is like, Pat Labor is the only mech show I really like. Um, And the thing is, like, it's not anything like other mech shows really um i think that's sort of why i like it it's like this aberration because it's um it's not like a space it's not like gundam it's not like a space opera gundam sorry it's not a gundam i uh, this is how little i know about gundam is i don't even say it correctly it's not like a space opera gundam thing and it's not like a like a super robot mazinga thing it's basically like a very low-tech near future um kind of like spy espionage detective series set in a world where like robots are normal yeah and like the two pat labor like the the show itself is actually kind of light-hearted but then the two movies are full-on like um political thrillers about this like how we sort of cope with like recession and how we cope with um like sort of like economic changes to our country and what that means and, like, the the look of Armored Core, that, like, because it has this very sort of industrial look to it. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you, you can have a laser if you want, but, like, the defining look of it is, like, it's all rust and rivets and, like, darkness. And the Armored Cores themselves are not actually very big. They're, like, they're, like, around, like, um... Like, I'm watching one now, it's standing next to a train, and it's about as tall as the train is. Like, it's not... Yeah. They're not massive, like, um, huge like mech warrior things. They're not and, um, kicking down buildings. Yeah, yeah, they're quite like yeah. So it has this like it feels like sort of near futurish. Like it doesn't feel like this is the far future and everyone gets a cool robot. It's like this is just a tank that happens to have legs. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like that. That is also the aesthetic of Pat Labor. Like Pat Labor is like what if what if robots were cop cars basically. So it's the same like this, like the, the mechs are very like industrial looking. They're basically forklifts or cars or tanks. And like the look is very like sort of like washed out gray, like industrial sort of feeling. And, and I guess like I watched them at about the same time. 
So to me, like they're always linked in my head, but like the the aesthetic and the concerns of Pat Labor are sort of how Armored Core is. Armored Core goes completely off the rails though and becomes like about transhumanism and like growing like cyborgs and stuff um, toward the end of it. But that's like, <sighs> did you get any? You didn't get Human Plus, did you? I can tell because you haven't brought it up. Mm. No, I haven't. Oh man, Human Plus is so cool. Okay, so, right, this is what I mean, because, like, you were talking about, I'm going to play Armored Core and we'll talk about it, and I said, it's going to take you a while. And like, nah. And I said, yeah. you'll miss all the good stuff, and you did. So, um, <laughs> throughout throughout the game, um, you will hear, like, oblique references to people digging and finding old pre-war technology, right? Mm-hmm. I assume that happened when you were, like, going to the underground bases and stuff? Oh, Probably. Yeah, probably. Okay, so you'll hear about like okay, um, it looks like Sophie. I don't when these blocks of text appear on screen. I just I just press X as fast as I can. I want to get through that crap. It's like Dark Souls. You're missing the story if you ignore the text. There is no story. It's just Max. Oh, <laughs> oh. Hey, it's uh, From Software President Hidetaka Miyazaki here to explain um, the story of Armored Core, which, according to this fucking asshole, apparently doesn't exist. Armored Core was actually the first series I worked on at From Software. Uh, I worked on one called Armored Core 4 Answer. Uh, they called it that because it was the sequel to Armored Core 4, which you'd think would be Armored Core 5, but apparently uh, we can't do things normally, so it it has to have some kind of 4 pun in the name. I suggested uh, Armored Core Forget About It, but uh, they wouldn't let me because at that point I hadn't made them a billion dollars by suggesting that a Kingsfield would be more successful if it didn't take you a fucking afternoon to turn around. So, uh, the plot of Armored Core for Answer concerns the extremely subtly named character, Maximilian Termidor, who... Sorry, there's a fucking dimensional portal in my room. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking dimensional portal! What was I talking about? I don't remember, and uh, also it's time for my lunch break. Ooh, they packed onions. Back to the podcast. Mmm, onions. What will happen is you'll gradually learn that, like, hey, all these, um, like, people who say they're doing scientific surveys are going under further underground to, like, old pre-sort of pre-collapse bases and finding old military tech. And the more that you follow them, the more it's like, oh yeah, um, we're, we're like scientists, but also we're also being uh, sponsored by large companies to do this. And it's like, oh, okay, what are they looking for? <laughs> and it turns out that like, very gradually you start realizing that um, they're starting to use the stuff they find underground to augment people. Mm. You start, like a lot of the, you'll, you'll fight other armored cores and the pilots will seem to be slightly unhinged. And at the same time, their their robots will behave in ways that, like, if you sort of have been paying attention, are breaking the rules. Like, they'll sort of be able to, like, infinitely fly and stuff. And it's like, what the hell? Or they'll, they'll be too heavy technically to work. And you'll think, what the fuck is this? What's going on? Um, and then they'll start mentioning something called the Plus Project. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that... um. 
they're actually scavenging those pre-war bases to find ways to, like, augment people into cyborgs that can fully interface with the the armored cores. I did read something about that. Yeah. So what if I told you that you can do that and you can actually become a plus experiment person? What? How? Yeah. Here's how. This this is how, like, deep this goes. Like, this people think that, like... This is like a rabbit hole. This is what I mean. It's like when Dark Souls came out, people were like, oh, a uh, fantasy RPG. And then the more they played it, the more like, wait, there's so much going on here. Armored Core is the same thing. The way that you do it is you go bankrupt. If you go bankrupt oh in Armored Core, they sell your body into medical experimentation. <laughs> and you get a cutscene of you literally, like, from your perspective in this, like, weird lab. And what? No, it's it's really fucking creepy. You get these like cryptic messages about like they've done something to you, and then when you start the game, you start the game again. It's basically new game plus, but now you don't have a name anymore. They've erased <laughs> your name. You've started over. You've raised, and you actually will develop like different abilities. Like it'll be like, oh, okay, I. My name is gone, and, like, I've been wiped from the records, but now, like, my robot can, like, fire shoulder-mounted weapons without me kneeling. Like, it's all this weird shit. And, um... Jesus! Yeah, your name changes to a number, because it's like, you're now just experiment, whatever. (laughs) That is so deep! I know! It's amazing! They just go bankrupt, and they sell you to some medical experiment. I think it's, like, negative 50... You can go into the red, like, you can get to... I think think it's negative 25,000 or negative 50,000. You just, like, become a guinea pig in a lab. Oh, my God. The other other interesting thing about the storytelling is, like, if you want to learn more about one of the two factions, you have to side with the other one. Because they're trying to dig up dirt on each other. (laughs) <laughs> and they won't they won't tell you the terrible things they're doing when you're working for them. So if you work for Chrome, you'll learn so much about what Murakumo is doing with this like cyborg project because Chrome want you to like sabotage Murakumo and Murakumo aren't gonna tell you by the way medical experimentation. <laughs> and likewise Murakumo will tell you all the shit about Chrome. Yeah, and like when I talk about the path diverging, like, it diverges so much. Um, like, when you when you beat the game, it unlocks every mission. Like, you basically, you don't really get a new game plus, you just get, like, all the missions are now playable infinitely, so you can just play them over and over again. And um, I remember the first time I did that, realizing that, like, I have not played half of these. And then, like, playing it again and being like, I don't even know how you unlock these. And not realizing for, like, literal years how you actually got to certain points in the game. It's a very dynamic world. Like, when, like, Chrome falls, it's not like... Like, the way I'm describing it, it's not like, oh, Chrome are over now. It's like, no, Chrome are bankrupt. But, like, they still own all this shit. And, like, they're now desperate. So there's literally, like, if you play to a certain point, like, Chrome will go bankrupt and then attempts to reassert control by hijacking a space laser and trying to blow up the planet. (laughs) And you have to, like, go into, like, Chrome's space station... (laughs) <laughs> and there's, like, bits where you're, like, there's, like, orbiting laser cannons and you're inside the barrel. 
of this giant cannon with a barrel is the size of, like, a football field, and you're trying to, like, go along the bottom of this really carefully in case it goes off and to try to sabotage it? <laughs> like, there's so much going on in it. Jesus. Yeah, and, like, there's there's parts that you buy. There's also parts you unlock by doing missions. There's parts that you have to find during the missions. Um, did you get any missions that, like, you didn't even get paid, but you got, like, a part? I think yeah, one I got a pair early. of Lexa good Yeah, wish. yeah, that's the early one. It's like, yeah, this is a mission, and if you do, like, we'll give you the... And the mission structure is, like, there's, there's weird missions in it. Like, there's... One of the missions is literally just, like, don't die for two minutes. Yep. That's it. You, you don't have to kill anything. You just have to dodge missiles for two minutes. The biggest um, rip-off mission was the one where they went, oh, we, wanna, we want you to come and help us experiment with these new mechs or whatever. Mm. And I went in there... I didn't get anything. I just, I lost money on that mission because I had yeah. to repair my mech and I didn't yeah. get anything out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, this is another example of the story, like that mech, like you got to, this is, it's called, what is it called? It's, it's got some serial number. It's basically the thing from Robocop where they're like, here's the future of law enforcement. It's a giant mech. Um, and you have to fight it because they want combat data. And then. The follow-up to that mission is much later on, you'll fight three of them because they want more combat data. And then um, if Chrome go under, they send them after you because they have the combat data from when you were fighting them. (laughs) So so they just drop a bunch of them on you. (laughs) It's it's so evil. What's the story with a giant mech? I I was clearing out some underground base and I went to the surface- yeah. And there was this giant monster mech or whatever mm, waiting for me yeah, there. What is yeah, that? Yeah. Um, that's like... Because the, the, the backstory is there was this massive war, essentially. Yeah. That's why everyone's underground. And, like, that's left over from the war. And it's not oh. fully understood. So there's, like, this giant thing that's left over from the war. And, like, that that that's a recurring thing throughout the whole series. That it's, like, by the way, like, here's a robot that's, like, this, this skyscraper-sized, like... Godzilla thing that's just left over from the war and um, we're going to try to make it like we think we we should have that <laughs> um yeah and oh no well like two, 2 is set on Mars what? Two, Armored Core 2 is set on Mars and it's like is it 2 or 3? I think it's one of them no is it hang on which one's set on Mars? What, Armored Core 2 and Armored Core 3 like they, they look so similar I get them confused they're both PS2 um, games. It's on Mars, and, like, there's, like, Martian mechs in it that you, like, dig up. It's, like, this, like, lost alien technology. you got to fight. It's so, like... What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, But, like, I, I I have it running on another monitor. I'm just watching it. And, like, yeah, I remember this. Did you get to the poison swamp that they figure out how to do in a mech game? Not a, I didn't go to a poison swamp. I went to one uh, underground base which had like a corrosive acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, Blight, that one. That's, that's Armored Core Blight Town. So yeah, they're I like, hated that. Yeah, I know. It's great. So they're like, <laughs> it's like a. <laughs> I hated that. Yeah, I know. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Puppet is just like this is before this was before Blight Town. Yeah. It's like let's have it. Mitch, this base is flooded with corrosive um, acid, like fog that just eats the mecha and it's purple like the swamp and just as long as you're constantly being damaged and um you have to uh you have to break 
parts of the wall to find yeah. the entrances. Yeah, and, and the like, walls you, that, that you break don't look different to the other walls. You can find it though on like the map. That's a really interesting point, actually, because like going into how in depth it is. Did you know the map actually has like about four or five discrete functions that will change based on the head you have equipped? No, what? <laughs> Great. So, like, the head part of the mech defines the kind of map that you're using. But, like, some of them will just not give you a map at all. So that's something. Some of them will give you a map that's only of the surrounding area. And some of them will give you a map that, like, actually records it. So depending on the kind of head you have, like, you can either get a full readout of where you are, or you can get nothing, or you can get something in between. Hmm. There's also all this weird shit with the heads where, like, some of the heads, if you look at the description, they'll mention something called a biosensor. Mm. Um, that comes into play in, like, I think three missions. Where oh. you'll have to fight those bug things. The, the, ah. the termites from Kingsfield Shop. Um, only some heads can actually target those because they're not, they're not a mechanical creature, so it doesn't have a heat signature. So unless you have a head that is specifically designed around searching for like biological signs, you can't target them. The this is like the armored core iceberg over here. It's yes, so yes. deep. And it's but it's not even the iceberg, it's how the game works. Yeah. <laughs> and like, um, there's some missions where like they will do like radar interference. But some of the heads have radar interference blocking. So it's like just some. Okay, it may it may completely cripple you, and it may not affect you entirely, depending on how the build works. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't lying when you said I'm gonna miss all the good stuff. Yeah, you did miss all, the, and this is one of this twenty two other ones. <laughs> and they stopped making these for fucking dark. Yes. Souls. All right. So th- this is the problem. This is the problem that I face, right? Because the current state of From Software is like a oh. wish I made on a monkey's paw, where it's like I made a wish, and I wished that From Software were a really popular company, and everyone wanted to hear me talk about them. And then it came true, but they stopped making Armored Core games, and they just make Dark Fantasy RPGs. <laughs> so it's like. There's so much armored, like, it wasn't even just armored core that they did. Like, they made, there's an Xbox series called Chrome Hounds that's, like, it, it was Xbox exclusive, and it was also, I think it was online exclusive, so you can't even play it anymore because it's for, like, a um, server that doesn't work, but, like... Oh, fuck that. Chrome Hounds was, like, it was even more low-tech. It was basically building tanks that were, like, slightly futuristic. And they also did, like, Another Century's episode, which is, um, that's a, like, space opera E one, and there was, like, Frame Gride, which no one remembers. Because it's, <laughs> people are like, I will, I wish uh, From would, like, imagine if they combined Armored Core with Dark Souls. Like, they did! It was on Dreamcast. It was called Frame Gride. It was, like, literally mechs with swords and shields fighting each other. Um... Is this, you, is, is this why you were talking to me that you hoped that uh, Elden Ring will have different arms equipable? Yes. Oh. Also, also frame guard is one-on-one fighting. Like it, it's, oh. it's the armored core interface, but it's entirely, like, arena-based, but also the mechs are, like, pseudo-medieval looking. <laughs> 
Hello, everybody. We're halfway through the podcast, and I have a message from Thin, who wants to remind you all to please stretch and stay hydrated. I also have a message from Thin to her boyfriend, but there's a lot of bad language in it, so I'll just give you the gist, which is that she's stuck in another dimension, she's not enjoying it very much, and she wants some avocado sushi as soon as possible. Back to the podcast. So the from like successes, it's this like blessing slash curse thing where like I'm very happy that they're getting recognition. I'm very happy they're doing these things. They're doing them very well. But like, if you look at what from were doing in the '90s and the 2000s, yeah, it's like it's Armored Core and Kingsfield, which were basically the tent poles. Like Armored Core was basically what they were known for in the West for so long. They were like the Armored mm-hmm. Core company. Also Kingsfield. And then like Kingsfield derivative things like um, Eternal Shadow Ring Tower. and Shadow Tower. But then also like Evergrace, which is like a Zelda thing. They were doing um, Lost Kingdoms, which is a card based fighting game. There was like Ninja Blade, which is like character action. There was Otogi, which is character action again. Chrome Kuan, Hazard, which is up. like a survival Kuan, horror. Yeah. Echo Knight, which they like made a bunch of. Um, well, they made three but like the third one the third echo night game is in space they would like cookie and cream 3d that, that's dot another game thing about, yeah about their old sequels too it's like yeah. kingsfield one and kingsfield two these are radically different games yes, and then kingsfield yes. three that's like no let's go open like kingsfield two yeah. is like this metroidvania dungeon kingsfield mm. three just goes open world Completely kingsfield open. four goes back to like hardcore like dungeon mm. crawling shadow tower one and shadow tower abyss like, one of them has you equipping... A, like, one of them is a medieval dark fantasy dungeon crawler. The other mm. one gives you machine guns. And, yes. like, hats and bulletproof yeah, vests. Yeah, yeah, And it's, like, th- just the range with which yeah. they express yeah. these different yeah. franchises. Yeah, yeah. And even, like, um, Armored Core basically stayed the same, except when... We, when um, Miyazaki, it wasn't really entirely Miyazaki's doing because this happened with Armored Core 4. But, mm. like, Miyazaki, this is what we talk about with there being these different, like, numbered series also having their own series. So, like, Miyazaki came on board for Armored Core 4 Answer, and that is a pun on 4, because it's like Armored Core 4, and then the follow up to Armored Core 4 was Armored Core 4 Answer. Eh? <laughs> Okay. So, like, Armored Core 4 was sort of established, like, the game style when he took over, but, like, Armored Core 4 is fast. Like, they, they stopped, like, Armored Cores 1 through 3, they handle, like, tanks, basically. Even if you're even if you're playing, like, one with legs, it's, it's a tank that happens to have legs. It's not that yeah, fast. Just, Armored just Core quickly, 4, yeah. Just, just quickly, like, I said earlier, I'm the zippy, like, zippy mm. energy build. Yeah. I'm still, like, struggling yeah. to just turn to the side yeah, so i have to like it's constantly because it's the fucking kingsfield engine <laughs> yeah because and so i have to like i have yeah, to like do yeah. these booster jumps backwards yeah, yeah. and then just turn to the sides because it's easier but um yeah keep, keep yeah going yeah so like um four is fast and like four answer is even faster and like that's sort of what they did with like they they made it like they made it more sort of arcadey they took out a lot of the like mm-hmm. very very obsessive levels of customization and became sort of like 
Like Ahmed Cole, Ahmed Cole for answer. Like, um, I have a friend who's really into it, like much more than I am, and she was describing it to me as like the duels in Ahmed Cole for answer are kind of like it's like a like a dogfight between aircraft because you're going so quickly that you're like zooming and then you'll like pass each other for a split second and that's when the fighting happens and you'll zoom off again. Because, like, you can basically fly infinitely, like, in, in four and four answer. Like, it's so, like, fast. And, again, like, going back, like, the way they make it, this is this is my entirely my friend Talia's observation on it. But, like, she said, like, it's so fast and it would be weightless if it wasn't for the sound design. Because the sound design makes it sound like all the metal in the robot is about to fall apart because it's going so quickly. <laughs> There's this constant, like, whining, like, ripping noise as you're moving. And it's, like, it's so, like, it's, yeah. Uh. Armored Core 4 answer is basically, like, that is to baseline armored core what like bloodborne speed combat was to dark souls it's kind of like that sort of difference huh but even more like you could, you could always go pretty f- you could always go very fast in armored core in a straight line um that's some- something they introduce into is called overboosting, where like if your boost gauge is entirely full and you can hit a button that just makes your boosters like open and you just go insanely quickly directly forward yeah. Um, but then, like, so it's this. It has a very odd, like you were talking about. Like, I'm very fast, but I can't turn around. That's sort of what it's like. Like, you can move very quickly in a straight line, but you can't turn very well. So it has a very interesting, like, feel to it. Yeah. And, and like, part of the reason the final mission is unplayable dog shit is that like it's worse than it. it if you think Lost Isolith is the worst thing from made. Destroy floating mines is a nightmare because uh, destroy floating would mines. You, would you recommend that I break my rule and I do uh, save states for that yes. mission? Okay. Yes, because what destroy floating mines is it is two incredibly long vertical platforming sections, um, oh. and the platforms are moving. No, and the plat- No, no, and it gets worse. The platforms have guns on them. They don't do very much damage, but if they hit you, you'll be knocked off the platform. Okay, I'll have to buy that uh, that upgrade that lessens knockback. Oh god, it is like if you imagine like a Mario sixty four level with just like moving platforms <laughs> everywhere, but with armored core controls and just like guns shooting you, and you have to fight uh. nine ball twice. Ugh. And, and like it's it's this ridiculously long shaft. Or if you fall off, you can fall for like close to a minute before you hit the ground and then just have to go all the way back up again. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. There's no false damage, though. No, no. It's the one... one. They actually pay it off because um, the villain of Armored Core 2 is you from Armored Core 1. Oh. Um, that's who it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like it's the same guy. Um, so canonically, I guess in Armored Core 1, you're a guy called Laos Klein. <laughs> whatever um and yeah when you actually go to confront him he he covers his area in the same minds that they do at the end of armored core one so like he remembers what he had to go through and that's how he defends himself uh yeah leo's klein <laughs> it's such a good like anime mercenary name <laughs> yeah yeah so like I, and i'm in a situation where like this was my favorite series growing up but 
because of like NTSC and PAL, um, I think like only about half of them actually made it into a format I could play them in. So a lot of the spinoffs I know, like the, the core series all came out here, but like a lot of the spinoffs we didn't get. And You can uh, um, emulate those. I can emulate them, but it's not the same. <laughs> also, my computer's a piece of shit. It can barely do a PS2. Wait a minute. You do like da- Bloodborne data mining, don't you? Yeah, but that doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't have to be 60 FPS. Oh. oh, that's true. Wait, this game renders at 60 FPS? Not this one. This one. This one. This one barely scratches like double digits. Yeah, it's very I was slow. But say. like the later ones, the later ones are pretty smooth. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Did you find the moonlight? <laughs> Did you find the moonlight in Armored Core? I didn't. Where is it? Is it in one of the missions? Yeah. I, this is. This <gasps> is like. Um, I don't even know if you did this this mission, but like, there's one that when you start it, you think, "Is this a rejected level from Kingsfield?" Where it's like this weird like temple. No, I, I must have missed it. It's like this stone, very long stone passages, um, and like the hazards are like things that shoot fireballs out of the walls. Like it looks like something from Kingsfield. It's probably um, just that beginning level from Kingsfield. It might be, for all we know. <laughs> And it, it even says like they're hiding in the ancient ruins. It's where you have you have to kill the leader, the leader of a terrorist group called Struggle, which is a great name for a terrorist group. One of the terrorist groups is called Dark Soul, by the way. Yeah, um, I I, yeah. I saw that level. Yeah, they stole a bunch of tanks. So you, you, in in the level that looks like it's Kingsfield, part of the floor in one of the areas, if you blow it open, you fall for like seemingly forever into this abyss. Um, and then at the very base of it, there's this like weird idol. And if you go and examine the idol, it's got the moonlight on it and you get the moonlight greatsword and armored core. And it's, it's like, it's like a laser blade thing. And it's like, it's got like max damage. It's like nine, nine, nine damage. If you slash with it, it'll pretty much one shot anything. Um, but yeah, like that was cause I, I played this before Kingsfield. So that was actually my introduction to the moonlight was armored core. I have, a, I have which, very, very, um, very, very distinct memories of that because, like, again, 3D platforming and Armored Core, bad. And you have to climb out of this abyss once you get the moonlight. So I have this, like, very, very vivid memory of, like, falling down there and having to climb up. And this was, like, it was, like, a school night. So I was, like, <laughs> up listening to the radio and... I just remember, like, the, the, it was a local radio, and the two hosts had a big fight over, like, one of their football teams losing, and one of them stormed <laughs> out. <laughs> so, like, my memory is that fight playing over me trying to climb out of this stupid hole, and not knowing why the moonlight is important. Can I ask you about the hole? Um, yeah. Was the level, was it red-colored? No, no, it's like a, um, um it's like a... I always I've, I've streamed Armored Core twice, um, and like I, I always make sure to show that part off. Problem is, I still can't remember which part of the floor collapses because it all looks the same. I was just wondering because um, that's where you get it in Kingsfield One. By the way, yeah. Kingsfield Three has the dungeon from Kingsfield One in it. Yeah. It's like right next to the castle, and you can go into it, and you finish like the first uh, area, the first level. Kingsfield One has five levels. Yeah. Kingsfield 3 has the first level from Kingsfield 1. It right. shrinks it a little bit, and there's a boss at the end of it. And when you kill it, you're immediately transported to the bottom level where you fought uh, Reinhardt III, the villain from Kingsfield 1. Right. And 
So it, on that bottom level in the original Kingsfield was yeah. a pro- an astral projection of Kyra who created the Moonlight right. Sword. In Kingsfield 3, you go there and Kyra's lingering form still exists and it will take the broken pieces of the Moonlight Sword and rebuild it. But but the thing is, Kyra, it's just like this Cthulhu elder god monster that has like one yeah. eye and it's like just this... It's just insane. Like, the, the old FromSoft used to go places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it, it's like when, when Bloodborne happened and they were like, oh my god, it's like it's... You think it's fantasy, but it's actually Eldritch Cosmic Horror. And, like, they've done Eldritch Cosmic Horror, like, five times. <laughs> Including yeah. Demon Souls. Like, yeah. <laughs> Shadow Tower's got Nyarlathotep just in it. He's just there. Yeah, like those little worm guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's the point of Shadow Tower Abyss. Like, the revelation is that, spoiler alert, it's a spaceship. It's like a, yes. It's like an alien monster from a different planet. Yes. Kingsfield 2 has, like, what the fuck Talking is the about- ending of that? It's like you, it's like the, the robot. The, the okay, Tron? so the, the, you're, you're, you're the Kingsfield expert here. My experience yeah. at the end of Kingsfield 2 was, like... Are you talking about Kingsfield 2 US or Japan? The, the one that was just called Kingsfield in... In, in, um, in the West. Yeah, the first yeah, one. Yeah, the, yeah. The one that has the octopus near the beginning. Yes, my friend. Yeah, okay. I almost bought a red... There's a red bubble shirt with an octopus on it. I almost bought it. We'll go to next time. <laughs> Patreon.com. So, like... Um, <laughs> Slashing Claremore. Cl- <laughs> um, but, like... um, The end of Kingsfield, right, is... Mm-hmm. I'm fighting monsters I fought before, and when I use the mirror thing on them, it says that parts of them have been replaced with mechanical parts. Mm-hmm. And then I end up in Tron... Yep. And then um, <laughs> they talk at the start about like a great light landed here in the past. And I'm like, is this some ancient aliens shit where like Melanat Island is actually built on top of a spaceship and that's where I'm going. And that's why it's like the, it's like I, I'm in like someone from the 1990s idea of what hacking would be like, where it's all these like <laughs> weird, weird, like glowing corridors. <laughs> And they're like little silver termites. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the termites have become mechanical. And I'm like, when did this happen? <laughs> like, uh, that's the end of fucking Kingsfield. Like, <laughs> Bloodborne is normal. Bloodborne, like, seeds that shit from the beginning. Like, if you... Yeah. Uh, well, it's Kingsfield is very difficult because every game retcons every field? other game... Yeah, like every uh, I think the Japanese name is more like King's Land or something like that. I, I don't know, but like every one of them retcons the other, and then yeah. they released like the Verdite narrative or like some CD with one yeah. of the game that retells the entire story. And mm-hmm. there it's just like straight on fantasy about like two gods fucked off and the final god had to take care of the world by himself. And he split himself into two dragons, that's Seath yeah. and Gyra, who are like the antagonist yeah. forces of that universe. But it's like, but yeah, it's, FromSoft used to go places. Yeah. I want everybody to join our petition to make <laughs> Bloodborne 2 a mech game. That's true. We were talk- I, I've, we talked about this a little bit. Um, a little together. bit? This is, well, this is something I've brought up before. 
Um, before I before I met you, everyone was like, "Do you think there should be a Bloodborne 2? And I got really sick of answering it. And then I'm like, you know, From did this. From have their own their own answer built in, which is Echo Knight Beyond. Because Echo Knight was like a sort of like turn of the century set, like adventure game. If you look at it, you can kind of see, oh, is this is this where like this is a bit Bergenworth, like this like sort of like university and like the hospital and everything. And it's like, ah, okay, this is where their like kind of steampunk Victorian thing came from. Only like they genuinely seem interested in like Victoriana rather than like um, the aesthetics. Rather than just, I think this, this to me is why Bloodborne not having trains is important. Because <laughs> if you were doing <laughs> yes! like it's it's steampunk, this should well, there should be trains. Tick. No, it doesn't because it's not actually. It's not trying to do like here's the steampunk checklist. It's like we're interested in what this means, and part of what it means is actually isolation and and being xenophobic and like being closed off. So trains would not make sense. And I feel like a lesser studio handling the same material would have been tempted to put like trains and airships and stuff in it but it didn't that that being said like train tracks underground leading yeah. to old sumerian chalices chalice yeah. dungeons well terrasane like, yeah, has train tracks but it, it makes a bit more sense though you make you make a good point that yeah. world building wise trains wouldn't make sense yeah cuz i feel like that's that's like the appeal of like bloodborne to me is like everything that's in it like on the surface it looks like this is a checklist of things nerds like so it's like werewolves vampires lovecraft uh steampunk um top hats top hats uh like <laughs> sexy vampire lady of ambiguous sexuality like sexy doll lady sexy amb- doll <laughs> yeah but like ma- um, an old man in a wheelchair <laughs> yeah well i mean i know a lot of people who are very into that particular old man but we can't talk about it because youtube would unlist the video and um but the thing is like every single one of those things has a very very specific purpose and it is articulating a very very specific idea it's not just there yeah like it's like they came up with a story and picked those things because they belong in it it's not like they came up with that aesthetic and then tried to justify it later but anyway like i was saying um echo knight is like echo knight is it's sort of a similar like setting it's not as fantasy-ish but it's like um sort of like turn of the century like uh, like mansions and like universities and stuff and like sort of linked to stuff happening in the past like there's a there's a ghost looks pretty much exactly like Ligarius in it and like you know connecting uh-huh. with like after images of people and stuff and they do it twice and it's like okay i think after the two times you've done it you've kind of like exhausted what you wanted to do with this premise but they make echo night beyond and the way they do echo night beyond is now it's in space <laughs> you are on a space station um like dealing with like it's like an it's like an adventure game Without, like, combat and stuff, but you're also dealing with, like, the ghosts of dead people on a space station. And they they sort of, they justify it, it all by... Does it have the same, like, does it have the same sort of spiritual um Yeah, it's identity, the same, like- it's, not only it's the same world, you're playing as, like, the great-great-grandson of the character. It's just, like, huh. like, hundreds of years in the future, like, this family is still dealing with this ship, but so it's wait, in space. So it's like, it's like a Victorian ghost story on a spaceship. 
Essentially, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's a bit like System Shockish with like more, but more uh-huh. like a horror sort of survival thing rather than the adventure stuff. But like, um, what um, I was thinking about Bloodborne is like, all right, if there had to be a Bloodborne two, you'd do that. You'd be like, it's just really far in the future now, so all the stuff that we dealt with the first time, like, we're not going to go back to it because you did everything you wanted to do with it. Mm. Like, I think it's done everything that it, it could possibly do with, like, I, if you go back to it, you would cheapen it. Y- yeah, like, on one hand, you could just do it again, which is not interesting. You could escalate it dramatically, in which case you sort of undermine, like, the the original. Or you can do something different. Yeah, because, um, like, again, if you look at Bloodborne as a sequel to Demon Souls... Which, like, even if you don't literally think that, I think, like, spiritually it still is. It's a continuation. Like, what does that do? Well, okay, if you say Demon Souls is, like, 14th century, Bloodborne is the 19th century. So it's like you just moved it ahead. And you actually continued, like, the same, like, you you sort of continued, like, the same world with a different set of concerns. Because, like, Demon Souls is, like, there's a little bit of stuff about, like, they talk about the old one, like, crying like a child and things and, like... The idea of, like, you know, it's a fantasy universe that you think you know, but, like, underlying it is this, like, cosmic horror thing that's, um... Yeah. Like, and all, all the fantasies, like, this is the thing about, like, Demon Souls and Bloodborne and why I like them more than Dark Souls, is that both those, they're fantasy horror stories, but, like, they are normal worlds. Like, they are, like, historically sort of, like, there's one foot in reality the whole time. And mm-hmm. then all the fantasy stuff is something that went wrong. Like, Boletaria, like, without demons in it, is just, like, this is a place that could, it could just, like, a piece of historical fiction. Yarnum yeah. without, like, the vampire stuff is, is like, it's it's based on Prague. It's, like, this is a real place. Yeah. Um, and then the blood and, like, the souls and everything warp that into something else. Yeah. So, I feel like if you were going to do the sequel to Bloodborne, you just move it another 500 years. So, now it's, like, the 20... 20- fifth century 24th century and you you just do like like a mech game or like cyberpunk game and then you just say like okay well we're just picking up like this is like future yarnum um but that's not really the point and that's not like we'll keep some of it but we won't make it like literally like just dlc no it it can still be like the tech overlords are these out of touch 300 yeah. year old vampires but like so i I've, I've said something about lovecraft i think i was during a some podcast ones um and this is something i genuinely believe but it's 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 not a if if you just say it you can sound it it sounds really bad when you just say it but th- there's there's an actual thing to think about here which is that the racism of lovecraft's writings is really yeah. integral to, like, the world he builds. Oh, absolutely. And, and like, yeah. subsequent Lovecraft works, which wisely do away with the racism, yeah. they're, they're lacking that sort of social paranoia. With, because it wasn't, the point wasn't, like, like, the racism, it's because Lovecraft was a racist, but, like, it imbued his worlds with such, like, just this incredible, like I said, social paranoia, and these characters are also isolated from each other. He's terrified of, like, things not having set boundaries. Yeah. And the idea of, like, miscegenation is an example of that. Like, he's he doesn't like the idea of, like, 
things becoming impure. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I, I feel like there's still people still write in that tradition. They're just not doing pastiche. I, I feel like so much of uh, post Lovecraft either does away with the racism and doesn't do social paranoia anywhere else, or they try to make like a meta narrative about the racism. In which case, I like there's one book I read um, in which um, I, I don't remember what it's called, but it, it basically ends with like the main character he decides to do a deal with love with uh, Cthulhu, I believe, yeah. because. He he was so disgusted by like the racism of his fellow men, like right. the prejudices he had to feel. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was made to subjugate. He was subjugated to. And I yeah. always feel like that is an interesting angle. But at the same time, I, Lovecraft to me is so much about this guy who is just yeah like like almost a germaphobe. He is so disconnected yeah. from like the touch of another human being. Well, th- this is like there's two sort of parts to that because like. Um, I remember there being an article in Eurogamer a while ago that yeah. was like, stop doing Lovecraft entirely because he was racist and we don't want to have to keep revisiting this. But like, everything that is racist about Lovecraft pretty much is also in like Dracula. Yeah. And we don't say that everyone who is doing vampire stories agrees with it like bram stoker's like fear of like east european aristocrats no no lovecraft like arguably he he's not necessarily like 100 percent in agreement with himself a lot of the time about this like you can even like you can read shadow over insmith as just like a straightforward like horror story about like oh shit i'm actually a fish but, like, there's this aspect to it that's, like, well, the, he does also sort of accept that. So you can read it in, like, almost a positive way if you wanted yeah. to. But, like, Bloodborne just sort of takes that potential, like, positive thing and runs with it. Because it's, like, the um the way in which, like, you find enlightenment and you transcend in Bloodborne is the stuff that in Lovecraft drives you mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the loss of the things that, like, Lovecraft's paranoid about losing is still there and it's still the focus but mm-hmm. like losing it is actually like you you that's how you transcend that's how you mm-hmm. move on that's that's what you do um and like to to like avoid that is to become a beast but at the same time like well the beasts are also kind of sympathetic so it's it's just sort of like recasting it it's not actually attempting to like clean it up yeah, it's like well, no, this and even like the 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 DLC is like it's Shadow over Innsmouth. It's also like that's how colonialism works as well, and it's not like yeah, it's not necessarily like a big like anti-colonial sort of like statement as much. It's just like this is a thing that happens and it's terrible. Yeah, and that's also present in um, in Demon Souls. Yeah, like this, there's the Dreckling Merchant talks about how like yeah, the beast yes. in charge, but. My life is the same. I love that guy. That guy's cool. That guy's like the <laughs> hero of the proletariat. Because he's like... No, but he's right. Because like he says, well, okay, like, Boletari... Th- this is an important thing about, like, Demon Souls in general, is that there's three major, like, Boletarian figures who you talk to, which are, like, Ostrava, Bior, and the Merchant. And all They all of them, have these different views of what it they, actually yeah, is. Yeah, they all have a different view, but none of them are lying. 
It's yeah. not like this is the dishonest person about Boletaria. It's like, no, this is just Boletaria looks- if you're the prince of Boletaria, it looks this way. If you're a knight of Boletaria, it looks this way. If you're a commoner, it looks this way. And there's- yeah, that's- that's what Boletaria is. It's not one thing. It's not like, this is the truth, because they're all telling the truth. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I really like- I really like yeah. Alant's dialogue at the end, where he goes like- uh, you know, you you have you haven't you seen how miserable this fucking world is? That's yeah. why the old one was created, so that we could just get rid of it and start over with something better. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> it's like I, I can't exactly disagree with him either because yeah. I have seen how like the the Valley of Defilement predates all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, like so yeah. yeah. And like, again, like actually, the the f- end of Armored Core is very similar to Alant, where it's like this thing that can't really defend itself. And it's but it, it it's sort of the opposite. It's like you've seen how rotten the world is, but like, do you want it to get worse? Basically, we we can't risk this thing getting worse. Um, but yeah, like anyway, back back to like Bloodborne to the space memories. <laughs> That's a shit title. Uh, there's a game called hideline 3 the space memories that i temporarily forgot what it was called (laughs) so bloodborne demon souls 3 the space memories we called it rusty gear rusty Rusty gear Gear. i guess like one of the things that appeals to me is like um i don't know where what it's like physically looks like where you live but like where i live is it's a town that was built in the 19th century and then over time, like, newer stuff's been built over the top of it. So you mm. have, like, places that kind of actually look like Yarnum, where I live. But then they'll just have, like, heating ducts sticking out of them. Yeah. Or, like, like like LED lights on the front or something like that. And It's just, like, the horrible juxtaposition. It's an interesting aesthetic for me. It's, like, like, like Blade Runner is good. If you look at yeah. Blade Runner, like it's Los Angeles 2097, but they make a huge point of like, um, it's 2097, like- 2007, 2017, 2019, 2019. 2019. 2097 is a video game I used to play. Um, Blade Runner is like, okay, this is, this is hypothetical Los Angeles 2019. And, um, it's like, it looks like, Los Angeles, like the buildings are where you would expect them to be. It's the same buildings. They've just built over the top of them. Yeah. So it feels like it's gr- in the same way that like Yarnum feels like it grew out of the Chalice Dungeons. You can see like there's this architectural continuity across it. So I feel like having an old like Gothic city with like bits and pieces of technology stuck to it in a way that like that would be an interesting. That's kind of what Warhammer Forty Thousand does, but like I feel like it could be lower lower sort of key than that. Yeah, I pitched an idea to you. I didn't know where you sat I, on I'm going to pitch it to me. Like I'm going to. Re- no, I'm not funding it. <laughs> no, it, the idea was that the Macs were very specifically like Victorian design. Where like, right? It, it's still Armored Core, where you're swapping out like yeah. the head part or whatever. But yeah. it's like the head isn't just like this metallic box. It's like the head of this statue. Right. Yeah. And like maybe one of the arms you can equip is like from an amygdala that sort of That's, been yeah. rehabilitated with like biomechanics or whatever. And I, I said it should start looking like Armored Core and become that. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah, deeper well, down like, you go. I, I, I like the, this is this is my idea. Like, 
I would have it like it starts off seeming like science fiction-y. And then, like Bloodborne, you would come into contact with like something that was sort of irrational and impenetrable. Yeah. And there's no way to scientifically grapple with it in a way that like makes sense. So that starts being reflected in the designs. Like you have the robot, but you're starting to like you paint rune. There's some like there's some enemy that you like the only way to fight it is to like paint runes on the side of the robot or something like that. <laughs> or like <laughs> Like, um, you know, there, there's some something that will, like, target you, but unless you, like, have, like, a fetish, like, a skull or something hanging from the- And eventually the robot just becomes this weird, like, culmination of, like- Yeah. <laughs> one of the- one of the equipable heads is just, like, the skull from a giant beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had- Sin- Sin has those visions. What does he call them? Visions. Okay, I had a I just vision. had a vision. I just- I just had the vision, comrade. Um, so you talked about how you wanted to be like a survival horror game. Well, it doesn't basically. exist. This is the yeah, major well, issue. We're not actually making this. <laughs> no, we're gonna make this, people. Oh, fucking fine. Yeah, no. Patreon.com slash Sinclair Lore. Okay, this, this was my my suggestion. This has nothing to do with Armored Core. I just always thought it would be a cool system. Is if you had like a mech game where like the mech itself basically couldn't be damaged. Like, it's, it's a giant hunk of metal, something you can do to it. But the pilot is what's vulnerable. So yes. it's almost kind of like Sekiro, where, like, what happens is instead of you having, I know you have a health bar in Sekiro, but instead of being like, oh, my, like, armored core armor is degrading, it was 9,000 and now it's 7,000, you have it, like, set up. So it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with, like, you're gradually becoming compromised in some way. Or so maybe just it's, it's overheating. Yeah, like something it, you like you take it's, damage it, and it just overheats, and then it just has to freeze and cool down for a bit. Well, my idea, yeah, or just I was thinking like if you if you look at the way like um, people fight tanks in real life, mm-hmm. like the guys with guns shooting the tanks are like basically trying to suppress them, mm-hmm. whereas people will run up and just like hurl a grenade like like stick it to the tank and blow it up that way so that was sort of what i was thinking that like you're actually just trying to avoid like sort of critical hits to the mech so like maybe like you can sort of like there'll be like like enemies that could get close to you and basically like do the equivalent of a backstab or something to you and that's because you're a giant mech you don't have like the finesse to take them out yeah or something or just like you know like um if they do something like if they overload the CPU on the mech and it just freezes in place, yeah. Like to me, like because that that is like that's scary to me. Is like if I'm like cool robot dude and then suddenly like I get hit with something and it just freezes and it can't move and everything's moving toward me. We can do another one, which is like um, unless you have like visible exposure to the skyline, your yeah. GPS is just fucked. Yes, things like that. Like th- that going back to pat labor. My love of Pat Labor. Because Pat Labor, the second Pat Labor movie is entirely about that. It's about how, like, the pilot is, like, the, the way in which you engage with, like, a combat situation is mediated through all these layers of technology that can fail in different ways. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you, like, if you imagine you're in a mech and you're targeting things, then suddenly someone just fucks with the targeter. That's actually yeah. really scary because you don't know where anything is anymore. And I feel like going back to like Lovecraft's fear of like bound like boundaries becoming permeable. Like I can't think of a better like 
I can probably could think of a better one if I had more time, but like, I just like the idea <laughs> of that as almost like, that's a horrifying thing that like, I have this in- invincible suit of metal around me and nothing can hurt me. And then suddenly, if that stops working, it's the scariest thing imaginable. Do you want to hear uh, what my vision was? Sure. Because we're pitching it as a Bloodborne 2. So Who are we pitching I- this to? We're Each pitching other? this to the people. To the people, Sophie. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Thank you, Sen. My idea was basically that the pilot, instead of mm-hmm. being in, like, a seat, they're yeah. in, like a, a, like, a tanker, like a little water right. tank, and they just yeah. have wires sticking to them. Yeah. And I want you to go, like, at, like, the mid-game, you uncover a Mac that some company created in some secret experiment, and maybe, maybe like, you're inside the mech, and then when it overheats or whatever, like, yeah. the mech freezes and the tanker is just pushed up to the surface to, like, yeah. keep you from overheating yeah. in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to do that to the other mech, and right. it freezes and pushes a tanker out, and it has, like, some cosmic eldritch horror monster, mm. like, maybe the, the yeah. body of Koss or something is just connected <laughs> into it, and it's like, <laughs> what have you done to this majestic god? <laughs> You absolute monster. <laughs> that's that's very like Evangelion. <laughs> no, but like I, I really like the idea of like combat based around making the pilot vulnerable. Yeah. Because if you imagine like the way Sekiro looks where you're like parry, 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 like, deflect, 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 and then suddenly they're open and there's that stab. Mm-hmm. If you imagine like two robots fighting and then suddenly like one of them is like stopped and then what you do is instead of like I'm just going to keep shooting the robot till it dies they like punch the fist like right through the like um the torso of the thing and presumably the pilot is like reduced to dog food when that happens yeah. like I think that that would be really cool because I like the idea of just like the pilot being really fucking vulnerable and that being potentially scary yeah yeah we also pitched that it would have like all the pilots would be really anemic because maybe they don't have like wires attached to them in the water tanker maybe they just have like uh what do they call them like just have like syringes in their arms and they yeah. their blood is fueling the uh the yeah the mech yeah this is getting very like warhammer <laughs> <laughs> every time you brought something up i would send you like a 40k yeah. model and be like you've just basically just where it's like here's a robot that's piloted by a corpse <laughs> what the like, um, the the like standard like um, Walker mechs in forty k. They're actually they're actually a sarcophagus that they stick arms and legs on. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, because like yeah. it's like if someone's mortally wounded, it's like hook them to a life support system, put them in the sarcophagus. Most of the time, they'll be in a crypt, but when we need them, we'll pull the sarcophagus out and stick it to an exoskeleton. <laughs> uh. Yeah. And yeah, like our pilots, they're all under the back and heel of, like I said earlier, these 300-year-old vampire aristocrats yeah. that live on the highlight of the of Neo-Yarnum 2328 or <laughs> well, whatever. I, I was, we were talking about that, and I was talking about how, like, if you look at sort of, like, ver- like early internet theorists um, from, like, well before, like, the, the 80s and 90s, but, well, maybe the 80s, but, like, the way that that sort of led into this, like, sort of transhumanist obsession that comes out of like tech bro types where it's like we're actually just like like it, we can it, it's like we're stem lords who are obsessed with technology but also we believe that like something that's effectively a soul could be 
taken out of your body and you could just live forever, like somehow, yeah. um, like sort of altered carbon style. So like that is like essentially what Willem is trying to do. It's this like transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even like the idea of like, what if the universe had no, like everything's actually like according to the whim of like these sort of cosmic entities, like, if all you ca- if you're like an armored core character and all you care about is money, that's actually pretty good. If you think about it, like if you think if you think about the yeah. universe as like a completely irrational, like cold and hateful place where like there is no morality. Um, if you're someone who just wants to like destroy the whole world because nothing matters, like well, you may that's actually kind of like useful in a way. It's like well, okay, nothing's sacred; it doesn't matter. If that makes sense, like, yeah, I can just get paid. It's all like, well, yeah, because so like, so it doesn't paid. matter. So like, if nothing's, if everything is just like, if everything is is sort of like chaotic and meaningless, and there's no meaning to existence, and humans are basically irrelevant, then it's like, well, all right, that actually works really well if you're a complete scumbag, because it's like this is actually the best universe for me because I can just. I can, like, you know, I can murder my own employees. It doesn't matter because, like, who cares? There's no, there's no morality. There's no God. Yeah. No one will judge me. Do you think we should uh, split this video in two? One is Armored Core Talk. The other one just called Pitching Bloodborne 2. Armored Core Style. No, because people will think Bloodborne 2 is a serious project rather than what we're that actually is a working serious... on. I am serious okay, you about are making, this. You are making a game about in a swamp with no fighting i am making a junk scavenging um Mega Man legends ripoff we will meet halfway through when when both <laughs> these games are finished in roughly 2038s okay we will collaborate on bloodborne <laughs> 2 if it's not out yet if it's not out yet. <sighs> i think do you do you by any chance know uh shuhei yoshida or herman holst or mark cerny uh no no they don't ring no no No. if if any one of those guys is uh watching this video they're like the big wicks at sony please (laughs) message me i like how that almost sounded serious (laughs) yeah yeah if uh, a ceo of sony is watching sinclair law yes (laughs) they're a big fan of hats of bloodborne actually multiple people who who work on elden ring do watch this and i'm very very sorry Hi team! Oh, Sin's back. Sin is back. <laughs> My boyfriend picked me up from the portal. Oh, that's good of him. Did you catch any of that armored core talk we did? Absolutely not. <laughs> Sophie, do the outro. That was the snack of in an episode 275, Armored Core with Asa. I can't remember what we said because it was recorded some time ago. Uh, and we're now doing it due to the time disturbance caused by the portal. That's what I'll say. <laughs> and Acer, if people want to find you on social media, where would they look for you? Acer Aesthetics on YouTube and the Twitter. Uh, follow me for some epic gamer memes. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. Thank you, Acer. Thank you, Sin. Very cool. Thank you, Jersey Miyazaki. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you everyone for listening and see y'all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
Whatever.